Hey everybody, it's Corey Mosley, and this is the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast, strategy, testimony, and real talk for all things entrepreneurship. And it starts right now. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. You know where you are. It's the show where we're talking all things entrepreneurship, growth, scale, start it up, wind it down, fix it, build it, break it, and bring it back again. We're covering all those topics. I'm your host, Corey Mosley, and you know I'm super excited to uh, have you joining me as always. you know The goal here is just to simply make an impact and bring a diversity to the conversation by means of the different types of people we have on this international audience that we've be- begun building is uh, just amazing. The feedback, the comments that we're getting uh, really helps us know, you know, we're on the right direction in terms of helping people. And I, he, he may not like me. Well, I'm not going to say he's not going to like me to say this, right? My, my guest today, but I, I think it's so interesting. Now, I'm somebody who, for those of you that most of you know my story at some point in time, I didn't go to college for a variety of, of I don't know. It was a variety of different reasons. I think by the time I got to that point, I was like, eh, um, I I think that probably is what went through my head. So I'm always interested in like ultra smart people. Like I'm smart in my way, but I'm I'm interested in like academic minded people. Um, So I hope he's not shy that I'm that I'm uh, pointing that out now, but I've got a really smart person on on the uh, show today. And I think you have some great insights and we're going to be talking, you know, growth. We're going to be talking scale. We're going to be talking partnerships. We're going to be talking like money, funding, fine, working with banks. I want to get into all those topics today um, because I think it's going to be a unique opportunity to, to do that. A lot of people live in this solo world or this solopreneur world or small teams, but what does it take to really scale and what does that look like, you know, kind of at the top of the mountain? And so those are all the things you're in, you're, you're in for a good show. Those are all the things we're going to cover because I've got Aaron Montgomery here today. Now he's a consultant. He's a speaker. He's a co-founder. He's also the former COO of a company called Carlots, which was a automotive remarketing firm that disrupted the automotive industry and, and continues to do it through its innovative vehicle consignment model. I've actually used that service to actually make money on, uh, on a vehicle that, um, I needed to unload. And prior to starting his own business, though, he was a consultant at McKinsey and & Company and a sales executive at Kiva Systems, which was a robotics firm that got acquired by Amazon, you know, because they buy everything that they want and they have an interest in. You know, um, what's, what's interesting about Aaron also is he's a two-time Inc. 5000 honoree, a two-time finalist in Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year program, and was named Executive Partner of the Year by the Society of Human Resource Management, the insiders we call that SHRM. Um, Aaron earned his degree in economics from Harvard University. And you, you can't say Harvard, Aaron, without, you know, Harvard University and his <laughs> MBA from, from Harvard Business School. Aaron, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks so much. I think the R is actually silent, Corey, so it's Harvard, uh, but, but that's uh, okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a Harvard guy, right? <laughs> He's going to correct me. It's silent. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm super Thanks excited to have you. you on the, yeah, I, I'm super excited to have you here today uh, because, you know, I, I think the story is interesting, but there's just um, in this hustling grind conversation that 
um, we have in the marketplace and that consumes social media, um, you know, just this like grit kind of thing. I think a lot of people forget um, that there's an intellectual uh, piece to growing a, a serious business, tens of millions of dollars, and and it's not just the grittiness, right, of what we see in the marketplace but there's some fundamentals and you need some intellectuals and some people that are going to sit down and really look at things in a strategic way um, to position themselves or their business to grow and uh, i mean would you agree with that i think the challenge is you know I, I think that at the end of the day you know the grit and the hustle is probably what matters more than anything the discipline and the showing up but if you're going down a path where you need to raise institutional capital or you need to bring on large scale corporate partners, say in a joint venture or something like that. Mm. Those types of managers and investors are just so accustomed to thinking about things in a very particular way. Yes. You know, what's the hypothesis? What's the business model? Let me see your financials that you have to speak their language in order to persuade them. And That's right. they won't be persuaded by this is a good idea because I think so, or, or not even this is a good idea because people are doing it. They mm. might see the evidence, but still want to see the model and everything behind it. So I, I think that, you know, tons of examples of folks that with, with no education and just a, a good idea and a lot of hustle that have made it in business. But if you look at companies that are raising venture capital or private equity capital or, or any kind of sophisticated, so quote unquote sophisticated investor, I think you find that you, you, you pretty much have to have the deep business plan, the analytics and all the things that go with it. You know, what was interesting when, when you were talking about that, it gave me a flashback to like one of the, the, the Steve Jobs movies. And I, I'm thinking immediately of the scene where he started walking in all these banks and, you know, he was being Steve Jobs, right? Hadn't cut his hair. He kind of came with his Birkenstocks and, you know, they're, they're fictionalizing it. But, you know, he's getting thrown out of everywhere. And then you see that moment where he realizes he's got to straighten it up to get where he wants to go. And he's in the suit the hair shaved, people are looking like, what happened to that guy, Steve? Well, that guy, Steve, had to realize his his client and what he needed to, to he had to make some adjustments, right, in his situation uh, to get where he needed to go. It, it made me feel like that to a certain point where there's this thing, I think, in the marketplace where I, I'm all for authenticity. So let me, let me be clear. I'm all for authenticity. You know, I think people need to be who they are. Um, but I think there's a need to understand also where you're trying to go like people people will look at mark zuckerberg come on with his t-shirt and his jean you can dress that way when you got billions of dollars right, you, right. Can, <laughs> you, you, you can wax poetic and and talk intellectually and and just like talk big vision stuff but yeah. when you're in that game whether whether you know whether it's capital it's convincing people your idea and that investment but you you have to um it's not just about bulldogging your way to the end result. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that, the, you know, you, you tend to find that there's, because I mean, but on the other hand, the great irony of raising capital, I think, is that bankers and investors want to invest in the next big thing, the disruptive thing, the innovative thing, mm. but they want it wrapped in a package that looks like everything else. <laughs> right. So to your point, everybody has to then kind of dumb their idea down and package it up and, you know, wear a suit and cut their hair in order for a banker or an investor to recognize this thing is pretty awesome. Um, and it's not to say that that's, that's universally the case, but, but it is often enough that it's worth, it's worth mentioning. No, but then on the no. other side, you know, as somebody who's, who's, who's building something out, you know, I think that 
um, it can be it can be easy after going through a process like that where you've raised capital. It can be easy to then over-index on the analytical side. But at the end of the day, the thing that gets this thing done is the grit. I mean, you know, because because at the end, even even in the fundraising process, I know for us, I mean, there were hundreds of meetings and so many no's. So even the grit of just sitting through those meetings and finding the next yes is its own hustle. And so, so there are probably a lot of good ideas that are analytically well-founded that don't have the hustle married to it that don't make it through either. Let me ask you this question. Did you find yourself, and, and I did, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't deal, I do some corporate deals, but not, it's not my lane as much. Obviously my, my commitment is really is, is entrepreneurs and right now, but did you have those moments where you were sitting in front of people that you know you needed for whatever whatever the reason was but you knew i, I want to say this in a way that that doesn't appear arrogant but you knew like like really you're the guy making the decision and and you're you're hoping that they get it and you kind of watch before your eyes that they don't I don't think there's a single entrepreneur <laughs> that's ever been on this side of the table who didn't feel that at at least some point. Uh, and I say that without without wanting to sound arrogant, but but you right. know, it's it's literally like you're you know you're on one side trying to paint a picture, and your job is to garner support and get people to catch the vision and understand what this thing could be. But in all fairness, the person on the other side, they're, they're, they're a steward. Of, they're the arbiter of risk for that organization. Mm. And they get pitched by dozens of people that have the same energy and ambition and enthusiasm. Right. Where it gets frustrating, though, is uh, when ego does get into those things. The people, uh, you know, take the position as the authority versus taking, you know, by, versus discussing the merits of the idea. And, and I've seen that in some cases where it's literally just, you know, well, I'm the person at the bank, or I'm the person who holds the keys, or I'm the person who's right. head of corporate development or whatever. So you gotta jump through these hoops and do a dance and, and impress me. Go now let's see what you got. And and that's an unfortunate dynamic. But you know, in, in in most cases that's probably a good sign that that's not somebody you want to partner with. I, I've seen that across the board, not 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 just in, 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 you know as an entrepreneur, but even, you know, as as an employee at a, at a startup. I mean, I've seen that so many times that I think that anybody who's been in this long enough has probably got stories like that. Right. I want to think back to some of the early days. Now, one one of your models, right? You kind of had a a, a, a partnership model, a co-founder model, yeah. right? In in I guess to date, what, what your largest largest venture has been. Tell us a little bit about that backstory. How partnerships come together? Because you know those things, just like you know, marriages can be a, a, a big disaster. And I talked to so many more than I really thought. Uh, scenarios and entrepreneurs who have like these bad partnerships. I mean, literally, you know, people who have built fifty, hundred million dollar companies, and then almost like one day, just everything just went left. How do you make the decision to go into? What's the backstory to you and, and the other co-founders that came together in terms of trying to make that work? Yeah, I, I consider myself incredibly fortunate because I also hear a lot of stories uh, like the ones that you've heard and. And in some cases, I mean, they're heartbreaking. It's like, you know, friendships are broken up, uh, family relationships yes, are broken yes. up, uh, people that, you know, just go on adventure and, and things just go left. Um, I consider myself lucky for a couple of reasons. One is my, my, my partners are, are incredibly talented, you know. So we met, we didn't go to school at the same time, but we met through our, our business school connection. And uh, my partner, Mike, uh, who's our CEO, is a very talented visionary. Uh, my partner, Will, uh, who's our CFO, is just a very 
sharp and disciplined person, like the kind of prototype you would build if you were trying to describe what a sharp and disciplined person is. Mm. And, uh, and then they, you know, they let me hang around. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, the, the three of us go after this thing. And I, I say fortunate because, you know, I think the conventional wisdom is you, you got to know somebody well to go into business with them. They got to, you, you got to know every, how they're going to be in the foxhole and everything else. We right. didn't know each other that well. Uh, you know, Mike and Will had worked together uh, years years before, but not not very closely, maybe on a project or two. And I met these guys pretty much out of the blue. And what's interesting is the studies that have been done have shown that partnerships that are built like that, where it's forged on the merits of the work and not just on the merits of the relationship, tend to perform better because then you're not playing a role. You're being You're being more authentic. And that doesn't mean that the chances are 10 times better or 20 times better. Maybe they're marginally better, but but we certainly found that to be the case because in the early days, when you're negotiating difficult conversations like equity and roles and giving hard feedback and describing how you're going to work and laying down your ground rules and all those things, you can't be polite and you can't be, you know, you've got to be straight up and you can't assume that, oh, that's just Corey being Corey. So ignore him. No, you got to mm. listen to what Corey's saying, right? You got to. So everybody's got to have a voice. It's got to be authentic. You can't fall into past patterns. You can't, you got to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. So for all those reasons, the partnership worked for us. I think the other thing, the, the third reason I think I was lucky is that our skills were complementary and they that didn't overlap. Next question. That was going to be my next yeah. question. How, how did that, how does that factor in? I think, you know, if you've got, uh, especially in the case of three, three founders, if you've got two or three guys that all have to be, the guy that's out in front, yes, that's out in front, man. That I would not want to be a part of that team, right? It's like, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's it's like sports, right? There's not enough, there's not enough balls to go around if everybody, that's if right. everybody has to have it and shoot all the time, right? So that's it's right. the same deal. If everybody needs to be in the numbers and behind the scenes, that wouldn't work because who's going to lead your people and sell the vision and rally the team? That's right. Um, you know, um, if everybody wants to be strategic and nobody wants to roll up their sleeves and, or vice versa, right? You, you just, you got to have a good diversity and talent. And um, what was unique about our case is that we didn't go out and recruit for these complementary talents. We just naturally had them and naturally fell into them. My, my background was as an operator and, and a sales executive. So, um, so I felt very comfortable leading the team and training them and in sales. Uh, Mike's background um, was was in investment banking he, uh, and and he negotiated very large deals. So he was very comfortable with the fundraising exercises and building high level corporate relationships. And Will's background was largely in finance, but he had also been a chief administrative officer. So he was very comfortable with uh, with tending to all the the structure of the business and making sure that our our statements were sound and and, and keeping the lights on for you know in, right. in the early days, frankly. So it was a very complimentary skill set. Nobody wanted to steal anybody's thunder. Everybody stayed out of each other's way. And because we were naturally good at these things or predisposed to doing these things, we built a lot of trust in one another over time. So it mm. then strengthened the relationship and made it go further. So this is interesting because I, I think not just the not just the findings of not knowing each other as tight, but you'll hear partnerships driven by who has the money and who who has the sweat, right? You hear about those too, like, okay, I found a backer. So my partner is the money guy, um, right. which which is different. Nah, I, mean, I don't know if that was the case here. It doesn't sound like it, but how do you think those dynamics are different and make for different partnerships? I think they're different because in those cases, you know, which I think what, what I prefer about our, our situation, I'll say, is that 
felt like we contributed something to the business and that we contributed uniquely. You know, that we, I bring this, you bring that, and you bring the third thing, and that it all benefits the business. Mm. In the case of money and sweat, I think it's easier to get suspicious of the other partner and feel like, ah, if I could just get somebody else to bring a check. <laughs> or right, 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 right. I feel like, man, if I just had somebody else who was more agreeable. And it's just, you know, I, so what I like is that we came together as a team. We raised capital to support us and our vision of building this business. And that, and that capital came from a number of friends and families and angel investors and people that wanted to be a part of this vision with us. Right. And it was a comfortable dynamic. We had sufficient support, uh, not just financially, but you know, emotionally and, and people in the community and to, to, to grow the business. But we were, we were left to be able to run the business without feeling tethered uh, you know, to a money guy, if you will. Right. It, it, was about, it was about fueling the growth of the business. So here's the other thing, and I want to make sure I'm right. I don't want to infer. Did you feel like when you not not that you didn't have moments and not there wasn't you know some bootstrapping all these different things, but I I think so much. I, I go back to my original point because I want to make sure I get to. I, I want to make sure I get this message across today. I feel like so much is about so many people being undercapitalized, and you know. Uh, I had $2 in the bank and and then we built it. Like, that's not what you, I mean, you, you guys practically looked at this and like you said, brought in some investors, went to friends and family, like had a plan. Like it, it wasn't, I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I want to just, I think it just gets too much. I think the zero and you know, I came out, I, I was born in an abandoned building. I think that gets too much attention <laughs> in the marketplace right. and not enough for like, no, um, you know, you could build your business by like doing, having the right capital and b- having, you know, having a plan and all of these <laughs> things. And yeah. th- there's a separation out there in the marketplace from, you know, from that idea. So just pick anywhere you want from what I've said, um, because I, I, it's important that people understand that, it's it's not about you don't want to have two dollars in the bank when you when you go to build your business you know there's something that it, it's, it's i think you're right i think that that story it's a sexy story it's you know i was down to my last dollar so yes. I, I came to the roulette table i put it all on black and, you know, yeah yes yes but i remember um and and and, I'll, and and in full disclosure i mean quite honestly we didn't pay ourselves for the first year we stepped away from our jobs and and we were we were all in on this thing, right? But you know, and, and, and you that's planned again, for it though. But you didn't. We, we, you planned, didn't, we planned for it. You didn't lose your house while you were doing that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. And right. one of the things my partner Mike said uh, when we first started, I remember we were at a, we were at an event and he was giving this advice to a younger entrepreneur. You know, I was in my early thirties. Uh, I think he was in his late thirties. My partner Will was a little bit younger than we were, but but uh, but still, I think in his thirties, we had saved some money. You know, it was we were basically cushioning for that blow. Because we knew that we wanted to be entrepreneurs and we knew right. that the time was going to come. So we said, let's keep enough dry powder so that when that time comes, we're ready. Now, that meant different things for the three of us. Mike had some kids yes. in school. Yes. You know, he was married. I was single. You know, Will, Will had just married. So we were all in different stages of life. But for whatever right. that meant for us individually, we were prepared to cushion that blow and ride this thing out for as long as we needed to. And I like that story better because, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. frankly, it allows you to make better decisions. Not know, as right, sexy. Not sexy. Yeah, right. Um, but you know, we were able to be sober-minded. Right. We were able to be judicious. You know, we didn't. Um, we were able to elect not to pay ourselves to give ourselves more runway. 
and right. be able to make the right decisions for the business. And as rewards came later, um, yes. you know, we, we were on a more stable foundation. So, I, so I, you know, it's not as sexy, but that was definitely, I was definitely the approach what? that I would recommend. <laughs> right, right. And listen, I get that email. I mean, oh, Corey, you know, I really, I really want to, um, you know, I really want to start this business, but I don't have any money. What advice do you have for me? My, my advice is to go save some money, dude. I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, just like, it's not like, oh, well, don't, don't, don't worry about that. Just go out and make it happen. <laughs> right. Like, that's the, yeah. I'm, I, you know, so, I mean, people that listen to me know my big thing is like, my big thing is how. Uh, so many people leave out how, right? Just stay positive and it will all work out. Okay, how? Like, like right. you know, you don't need to know how. Just go do it. Like, and yeah, you need to know how, people. So, I, um, so I'm glad that you, you make that point because that's so, I mean, that's why I wrote Entrepreneurship Confidential because it's like, hey, you guys need to, we, you need to get hit in the face a little bit with, with some realities and not just, you know, buy into this that there's, I mean, if I could go back and do it over again, there's so many things I would do differently in terms of, in, in terms of being capitalized and, and not being in some of those, you know, positions that we had to work through um, early on. And, and I think it's that, it's that moment in, in I've said this in another show, but I love it because it always reminds me, Chris Rock's my favorite comedian. And Chris Rock, you know, has a bit that he talks about. This is similar, but it makes me think of it when we talk about this. He, he has a bit where he talks about how, you know, some people in, in the community might, you know, guys coming home from jail, they throw him a party, but the guy comes home from college, nobody cares. Um, right. I think it's that... You know, it's like, hey, you know, he's back. And then it's like, well, what about he, he's got his degree over here and he's doing all these things. Yeah. Who cares about any of that? And right. I, I go back to that because it is in those moments where you're like, oh, well, yeah, you raised money and, you know, you did this and you did that as if that is a the wrong way to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And. You know, I, I, and I think, if, if, you know, like to your point that, you know, if you've got the stomach for <laughs> for just throwing everything at it and, and riding through those lean times, you know, right. more power to you. But it, it, you'd have to concede that it just, at the end of the day, you want this thing to be successful, right? It's not yes. it's not just for a good story's sake, right? You want this thing to yes. be successful. So being able to to store up and be thoughtful and, and kind of make the jump when you're ready, and, and that, that requires its own set of uh, its own level of discipline you know i remember right. when i was younger um i probably would have been one of people sending you those those emails saying hey I, you know <laughs> right right student loans what do you think <laughs> you <know? laughs> right 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 because i was hoping for somebody to tell me to go ahead and take the jump but but you know <laughs> as i was able to you know to kind of kind of let my my experience come to me and you know uh build my network and my net worth um right. i think that uh, it put me in a better position overall so so i think that like you said it's not a sexy story but i, I think it's probably the probably the surer path and listen the funny thing is nobody you know most people nobody tells the story while they're in it right we all we all we all (laughs) like we all like to reflect like i you know 15 years ago i you know spent my last two dollars like nobody tells that story when they have the two dollars right so it's always it's always a reflection now now and again it's an ebb and flow right i don't you don't want to be too far left too far right so in that same token you are now you know, you, you were working, you know, ultimately for one of the most well-known consulting companies in, in the industry. And I'm sure your partners were doing some interesting things also. And, and you went into territory that was uncharted. So I, I don't want to go too deep into the business itself, but it was uncharted territory. This idea of vehicle consignment and using it. I mean, 
I view it as a, I mean, it was such a, such it still is, I think, a brilliant idea. So it wasn't like you were like, oh, great, we have an opportunity to buy this building um, in the middle of Wall Street and we know it's going to appreciate, we know it's got positive cash flow already, and it's just a matter of us getting it. You, you were in uncharted territory because this model, to my knowledge, was not being done before. Yeah, I think that that was that that was the all-in bet. Yeah, you know, and again, to your point, I mean, it was it was tempered by the fact that you know we had good jobs that we could probably go back to, but yes. you know, yeah, yeah, but, true. You know, but we had to take a leap on the idea that this would work without really any um, any proof in the market to point to and say we're going to do like they're doing only better. It was we're going to do a totally different thing, and here's how we're going to do it, and that obviously carries some degree of, of risk with it. And, um, and I think that was probably why we had, why it took so many meetings to find some people that thought off the bat that this was a good idea. There are just a lot of, I've found that not only through my own entrepreneurial journey, but just reading about others that until a thing exists, it's really hard to explain to somebody what it's going to be like. Most people right? like vision. I mean, it's, that's right. I mean, it's, yeah, you most know, people it's, like it's, vision. It's, it's way easier to explain doing something better, you know, or doing something. I want to open a subway. Scale. I want to open a right. subway. Can you loan me money? Oh, okay, subway. I've eaten there. I understand gotcha. it. There's a million of them, right? <laughs> yep, and that's yeah. the deal, right? And it's yeah. like you know, but and and in our case, there weren't even really strong analogs. So you know, nowadays, you know, the other thing that's really popular is like we're going to do this thing. It's like the Netflix of the Uber of or yes. whatever. Yes, yes. Um, there weren't really any scale consignment stores that we could point to and say we're going to do this like that. It was like you know, there was there were small mom and pop places, but not really anything at a scale that we could point to. So. Um, so, so that was hard, um, and it, and that's why we took the approach of let's raise a little bit of money, get this thing off the ground, show people that this is real, because there's just some things that you can't find in a spreadsheet. It's just kind of like you know what I could show you all the data and show you how many car registrations there are on the market, and blah blah. blah. But right. at the end of the day, <laughs> the best proof is going to be I sold this many cars last month, <laughs> right? That's and right. that was what we decided. We all talk about our nose, right? We talk about all the no's we got, whether trying to sell our product, trying to trying to get an investment, trying to whatever. How do you, what do you say to an entrepreneur? How do you determine if you, some people just have a bad idea, right? And so many of us in the social media world are taught, you, you know, double, you gotta have perseverance and you got, but some people just have a bad idea. How do you know well, what advice do you give in that area where you're out there, you're trying to raise money, you got an idea, you, you know, you think you've got a great package, you're trying to sell the vision, um, and you're getting no's. Is there a is there a indicator or indicators that there's moments to persevere and moments to adjust? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one obviously you consider when you're getting all those no's, but. You know, I think there's a no, there's a flat out no, like this is, this is stupid, I would never do it. And then there's a qualified no. And I think that if you're not, and you know this from all your sales training, obviously when you teach yeah. it, but that it's your job to get the qualified no, to understand what are the conditions under which this would be attractive to you. So whether right. it's a car, a business, well, or an idea, that's the same thing. So, so as we were getting these early no's, you know, hey, sounds like it's a cool idea, but it's not for us. Got it. What particularly about it isn't attractive to you? Well, I just don't think that there's that big of a spread between used car retail sales and the private party. Okay, cool. If I could show you that there is, might you want to take another look? Or I don't think this will work with the economic model that you have because I don't think that's how much a dealership costs. Cool. If I could show you that it is, 
you know, or if I could sharpen the pencil or whatever, right? So you start to get these qualified notes. Maybe those people were out for other reasons and that's just what they said. But right. in the process of doing these meetings, obviously your pitch gets more and more bulletproof because now you've anticipated more objections, you've understood the need better, and now you've actually tailored your business model. And, and, and we had to go through some revisions to get to that point. If you just hear an unqualified nose and people are just like, I think it's a dumb idea, I can't picture it, and that's right. all you ever get, I would probably say that's a good indication. It's not a good idea. Because, you, you know, <laughs> right. right, like you, like you watch a Shark Tank and they're like, and you know what, Mr. One was like, you're dead to me. And, and then, you know, everybody comes out of the tank, wants to, a lot of people want to be strong. Well, you know, I'll show them, like for every... You know, for every guy that's the ring guy who really did show them and 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 did this deal right. for a billion dollars, there's so many others that are just talking tough. But really, like when those five people were like, "This is a terrible idea," uh, you know, sometimes it's just a, it's just a bad idea, right? You you're not going to show us. You're going to not you, that deal's not going to make it, right? You're going to have to kind of go back and and do that. Well, Shark Tank, to your point, is a, is a brilliant example of this, though, because they typically give a very qualified no, right? Like, I, they, they tell you, like, you know, I don't think this will scale. I don't think you can get your production costs down. I don't think there's a market for it, whatever. Right. For that reason, I'm out. So right. whether you get the money from them on that stage or not, you've got a chance to go back and rethink what they told you and try again. That's right. If you're open to that, because you know, as Ryan Holiday wrote, ego is the enemy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'll show them. So, so I want to. So let's go. Let's talk scale for a minute. Were were you were you in a situation where it was a forced scale, meaning the market demanding that you scale, or you strategically sat in a meeting with your partners and said, "We're going to scale this thing, and here's how we're going to do it." Well. I mean, you pointed out that the three of us came, you know, we'd, we'd gone to school. We had, we had, we had great jobs with great companies. So I don't think any of us were attracted to the idea of leaving that to run a single dealership in Richmond, Virginia or anything like that. Right. The, the entire mindset we had was we can do this all over the place and there's just tons of green field and we can go after it. And that's what got us excited about it. Right. Um, so I think from the beginning, that was the vision that we caught. Now that said, you know, as, as we got going, there was a point in time where we said, you know, we've got a cozy little business uh, right here in Richmond. You know, a couple of you guys want to go back to work and, and peel off dividends for the rest of your life. <laughs> we could probably right. do that. Right. You know? But, but you know, so, but, but at the same time, it was like, but uh, we keep putting in the sweat. There's still an opportunity all over the place because nobody was copying us yet at any scale. Uh, and we had a chance to keep going. So, so I think that in the, from the very beginning, we had that inclination. Now, obviously, as you bring on more growth and capital, um, then that momentum starts to build for a number of reasons. I think, you know, your investors want to see returns on larger investments. Your right. team wants to continue to have all the excitement that they had in the beginning, and that only comes from more growth. Um, you get your friends calling you from other markets saying, you know, man, I, I wish you guys were here. I got a car to sell, right? It, we need one of these here. We need one of these. Yeah, we need this here. Totally. So let's keep going with that. Now, how do you stop yourself from getting jaded into the idea, right? Because so many, I, I see this too, right? People get get on, get get successful, get some things going, and then they get jaded in a way that is like, hey, I can't lose. Uh, they abandon the principles that got them started and made them successful. How did you balance that growth so that it made sense versus just going, we're opening we're opening 14 of these, you know, next rapid, rapid open. You know, it's interesting. We, we had heard about, there was another company in our space. Um, 
that you know they didn't make it. And when uh, when the auditors and the, and the you know and the bankruptcy attorneys and everybody went through their office, they were finding thirty thousand dollar leather couches and you know and mm. whole families were on cell phone plans and you know, seventy five inch plasmas in every in every conference room and stuff like that. And and I don't I don't know I can, what if it was just our our values wait. or what, but I just couldn't go there. Wait, I, now listen. I'm not taking a shot, but I can tell you, as somebody, I, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna say I'm only gonna say this was probably 2014 that I used the service. I can tell you, as somebody that's been to one of the locations, you did not buy thirty thousand dollars. I can, I can tell you that with a certainty that there wasn't a leather, there wasn't a Corinthian leather couches site at the location I was at for sure. You did a great job in keeping your costs down. Touche. Uh, we prefer to call that passing on the savings to you, Corey. Yes, yes, but- I love that. That is correct. That is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. <laughs> Oh man, you that, didn't see that, that one coming. You didn't see that one coming. No, but, but that's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, but you didn't see it because we didn't do it. And, and I, right. I don't know if it was, you know, I think that a lot of that just that's just our values. That's not how I would spend my own money. Um, right. And, and frankly, I, w- I was, you know, I think we were all worried about somebody like you or like or one of our investors or a customer coming in and saying, like, is this why you're charging me money so that you can do this? You know, right. and that just that just wasn't our deal. But that's yeah. you know, but that type of thinking to answer your question, that that type of thinking, you know, it kept us humble. I think you know, when you look at this thing, especially if you've been in this business for any any length of time, and you know this business, I mean, you can, and even as an individual salesperson, you right. can come off a killer month, and you know, I sold forty cars, I sold fifty cars, whatever, and then on thirtieth, you roll it back to zero, <laughs> and that's right. and that's where you are right. now. And, you right. know, so it keeps you humble, I think, in, in some ways. And, and I think that's probably the best way to think about it is just, you know, every month's an opportunity and, and you just keep rolling back and you take it one step at a time. What do you think the impact of education is? I mean, I, I have so many people in my circle that are kind of in my camp, didn't go to school. We scrapped it together. We, you know, persevered and and did all that stuff. And I'm not anti-school. I've never been anti-school. Um, but I have to, I mean, I have to, in my honesty, have to say to myself, the the level of thinking that the three of you applied and forget it being Harvard or wherever there there had to be a play there that shaped your that 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 education or that those experiences shaped your appetite for being conservative or when to be aggressive I mean there had again something that doesn't get talked about because we only they don't I've never seen a top 10 list on top 10 um multi-millionaires or billionaires that went to school like they don't do that because that's not sexy they do a top 10 list of who dropped out and and is the the billionaire dropouts list nobody does a billionaire college (laughs) person's list right so what what impact do you have to say and i think i think formal education gets a bad rap to be honest with you um especially today it's under assault right you don't need to do that and run up the bills don't do that what play or what part of that formalized business school and that formalized education do you think played a role in your growth strategy? And and let me quantify this. And you don't have to tell me the exact amount, but what would you say the revenue range of the company had gone from X in your early years? And and, I mean, what's a range? So so I can just level set people to know that we're not talking about a million dollar business. We're not talking about somebody doing two million. What would a range be that you would be comfortable sharing? 
Yeah, no, sure. I mean, this is something you can read in, in Ink Magazine, but you know, okay. this, this thing was growing excuse from me. you know excuse, zero. Excuse yeah. me. No, no, excuse no. me. Excuse me. <laughs> so not not private information anymore, but but uh, but yeah, you know, but with this thing we're we're going from you know half a million bucks or you know very small company selling a few cars to, to tens of millions in, in, in the last uh, couple of years. So 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 significant scale. Or, or what does it say on Ink? What is what does Ink say? Would you what did you I, report to Ink? I can't recall the exact number, but it was, oh, okay. it was in the tens of millions. Close, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Um, so, so go uh, back yeah, to my, do. so now go back to my question. So now what was yeah. the impact in really getting, really bringing, you know, a $30 million business or creating that, what was the impact of that, that formalized education there? You know, I, I never, you never know the counterfactual of what would have been if you didn't have your education. So all I know is the experience that I have, and I only know it through the lens that I've seen it in. But the one right. thing that I know and that without a doubt was an impact of, of having uh, not, not only some formal education, but, but advanced degrees and all was, was that there are times that I've seen people that don't have uh, as much educa- education be intimidated in certain settings or feel like there's something that 100%. they wish they knew, but they don't. Yep. And, I can uh, agree. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. I can attest to that. And, and you'll hear it in the yeah. comments like, man, you know, I don't know these, I don't know statements. I didn't learn marketing or and and there are times when I didn't know that stuff either, but right. I knew that it wasn't like there was some magical place that I would have gotten because mm. I already been to those places. <laughs> right, right, so, right, right. So once you can put that away, and then you're not you're not insecure about it. You're just like, oh, you know what? That's that's just something I got to learn. But yeah. you're not feeling like, oh man, if I had done this 20 years ago, I would have known this. You're just like, you know, hey, I've I've done everything possible to know this stuff. If I don't know it, then I don't know it. And you know, any other stuff that I do know, more power to me. Well, that's not that's I, not the same as saying that I had this knowledge that I think was yeah. different for anybody else's. But I I knew that there were there weren't many times where I didn't have any knowledge uh, because well, I, you know I missed it. Well, well, I think also about I believe the impact as an as a as the opposite side, right? And I agree with you how we look through our lens. I, I believe the impact is um, if you have that kind of street sense um, about things. I, I think your risk tolerance is different and i think i think you tend to have more gas than break i think that the three of you and i'm not speaking for you i mean i've met all of you but not speaking for you individually personality wise but saying i i think you're taught gas and break and i think if you come from more of a scrappy situation or like you're the you're the one in your family to really to to really you, you have that go all in all the time attitude and in a business environment right Some, sometimes you win sometimes you lose I, but I don't think you I don't think and I'm speaking for myself I didn't I never got taught break I only yeah. got taught gas right go for it go in take the chance take the deal then figure it out like that it was that kind of school of thinking so I think there's a there, there was and not that it is not rogue Harvard people out there right, right. Uh, I mean uh, hello Zuckerberg um, but there, there. I think there was just a sense to that, and no matter how rogue the, you know, no matter how inside my organization there were, you know, three MBAs, there were all those people, right? Because I wanted, you know, because that was important to not just be all gas. So I had to go acquire breaks, if that makes sense. And absolutely, and, you know what I mean, and, and and take on that take on that role. So I think that was one of those interesting interesting components. Now, you know. For you, when you think about you know that experience, what were some of the turning points and milestones in between a half a million dollar year and a thirty million dollar year, or or that scale process? I think the first piece was, 
you know, uh, to your point about gas and brake, it's, it's just, you know, how far do you go into validating the concept before you start pouring a little bit more gasoline on it and going some more? I think, you know, there, there were times when we could have gone faster mm-hmm. that we pumped the brakes that let's be sure that we're right on this. Um, and there are times when we went really fast <laughs> and, you know, and had to, and had to come back and, and retreat and, you know, and, and, and right. totally uh, shut down a path. And when you're, tr- when you know that scale is, is a part of your future versus just somebody who just kind of dumbs into it or just decides that, Hey, the business isn't doing fine. I'm going to add one more, one more, one more. Right. We knew from the beginning that we intended to scale. It made it difficult to in real time decide when do I, when do I pour on gas? When do I tamp it down? When do I pour on gas? When do I tamp it down? So those, I think, were the big challenges for us is that, you know, as, as you're going along, and, and, and also, by the way, as you're doing this, you know, how big is big? You know, right. what are the right locations? Right? When we got started with our first store, the feedback was, well, you're just in, in one store. And then we, sec- we did second one. They said, well, you're just in one region. Then we moved to another region. Mm. They said, you're just in one state. Then we moved to another state. They say you're still in the southeast. Then we moved, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. When we got to eight, they said you're not at ten. When we got, you know, so that was the deal. So it's always like that's what people you're lack vision. Doing. So that's right. right. People <laughs> like vision. Yeah, yeah. People like vision. So, uh, yeah. so you're trying to figure this thing out in in real time, and, and you know, we went with some small stores. We went too small. We went we went with some big stores. You could argue that some of them might be a little bit too big. We went with uh, we went with non-industry experience. You know, and maybe the stores didn't grow as fast as they could. We went with all industry experience and maybe the culture wasn't as good as it could have been. Those were the kind of changes you got to make and be comfortable with in real time. And when people use analogies like changing the tire while you're driving the car, there is right. nothing more accurate, <laughs> right? Because that's right. literally what it's like, you know? Right. You can't right. just stop and reset. <laughs> you know, you got to keep now, going. So I'll tell you, I had somebody on and some, it made me think of you. Uh, well, not thinking of you personally, but I want to get your perspective on it is as you were talking about uh, that analogy of changing the wheel while you're driving the car. One of the things that um, I had a COO on of of a um, agency and one of the things she was talking about pivoting to like leadership in a minute, because what, what that company scaled up to how many employees? Our company? Yeah. About 160. So, so on that way to scale, you know, we were, I was having a leadership conversation with her and she said, you know, one of the mistakes she was making that she found out that she realized in, in, in retrospect, after they did a best employee to work survey and found out that the great culture they thought they had, they didn't is she said that she used to, um, write policy, like for everything that she didn't like as it happened mm. so so when you yeah. said that it made me think of that because she, you know she somebody would be on their cell phone right in an instance she'd walk by see somebody on a cell phone and then go in her office and make a policy that nobody could be on their cell phone like in, right. that, <laughs> in, in that instant did you did you have any of those experiences in that in that scale process of of bringing on people because you don't have the luxury in your business to just let all the technology you know there's some guy out there with an app that he can reach one billion people with just three full stack coders, right? You don't have that luxury in a services business. You have to have human capital. What were some of the lessons right. that you were learning in that process? Well, I think the, I think the who, you know, so we, we, when we hire, there was always, does the person, can the person do the job? So can do, do they right. have the drive to do the job? Will they do it? And then will they fit? And fit was always the hardest thing to do because you don't want to have this homogenous place that just discriminates against different types of people. And right. but at the same time, you want people that are bought into what you're trying to do and, mm. and want to grow the culture. 
And the hardest thing that we had a challenge with, and I'd say probably still to this day, is the right balance between experience and, and, and values and trying to find people who, who know how the car business works but want to be, with, with, a, with 100% of their being, want to be a part of something different. Because you can't have, I mean, you know, we, we wanted this business to have a softer touch. We didn't, we didn't want the negative reputation that came with the traditional car business. Right. Um, but you know, the reality is you just can't smile your way and be kind <laughs> on your way to a sale. You've got to, you've got to know how to, <laughs> how to actually influence people and, and Correct. solve their Correct. problems and meet their needs and, and interview and things like that. So, you know, it's not, we can't have this order takers, but at the same time, you can't have the slick closer that was selling 50 cars a month and just say, come on in. It'll be just like your other store. Cause that's not what you're doing either. Right. And finding the right balance sometimes for us meant that maybe you can't find the exact balance in, in a single individual. It might mean that at the store level, you might find the right balance, but, but that was always a refinement. I mean, and you don't know until you're looking back at who you brought on because you know, interviewing is what it is, but, but that's always been the biggest challenge because to your, you're right. Human capital is the biggest driver of the business. What I remember a client calling me and he's like, Hey, you know, I want you to come down and work with my people. He says, but, uh, he was in South Carolina. He's like, but you know, uh, and I lived in New Jersey at the time and from Jersey and he's like, you know, but don't bring in those silk suits. Like it made me, and so many times I have people <laughs> on when, when I hear other people's story, it makes me think of all these stories in my head. And, and I'm just like, Brian, what do you I mean? Silk? I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're just down home folks down here. So make sure don't bring the, it was, you know, to your point earlier about, knowing your audience a little bit and making those adjustments and and um because obviously the assumptions and inferences that people make can drive how they how you can influence them and how they absorb the information or the vision or whatever you're trying to share with them so that's one of those things i want to pivot for a second because like i wanted i got all these notes here and i want to make sure i get everything because i think there's so much value because you've walked through so many different scenarios i want to i want to pivot for a minute a second ago, we were talking about um, certain information, like maybe a knowledge base that maybe you have or don't have. And and I I raised my hand and said, you know, I I do I deal with some of that, not coming from the uh, an academic background. And one of those areas that you know I'm getting into now is people are bringing more like you know equity deals to me or looking at those kinds of things, which is new territory. I want to pivot for a second because obviously in a partnership scenario. Um, and when you're talking about 15, 20, 30, $50 million business, $100 million businesses, there's partnerships, there's equity, there's shareholders, there's all that stuff. I want to talk for a minute, um, if, you, if you can, talk about this idea of equity and what maybe you would say in terms of equitable situations or approaches to equity in the marketplace um, now, whether that's bringing in shareholders or partnership approach to, to that kind of stuff. What, where, what can you, you know, talk to us about that? You know, it's an important question. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the rules are so, the rules of engagement are probably so dependent upon each individual situation it'd be hard to opine on all of them. But I would say that the most important rule that I, that I can possibly think of is to have as much of that thought out well in advance uh, because those are not things you can negotiate on the fly. I've seen lots right. of partnerships where people assume they were in a 50-50 and then somebody else wants to come in and invest and now it becomes a difficult conversation. You know, I've seen investors come in uh, with exotic preferred structures that benefit them and then punish the founders, and then the founders run out of gas and don't want to be a part of it. 
share dilution and all of this kind of stuff, right? Like exactly. Yeah, and you've seen yeah. it too, right? I mean, that's what yeah, you read about yeah. in the paper. You right. see that you see cases like uh, what's his face, the WeWork guy, uh, Newman. Yep. You know, where it's yep. like you know he comes out way ahead, and everybody else was left cleaning up his mess because he negotiated a sweetheart deal for himself and nobody else. Right. These are the things that you have to consider, and I mean, there's tons of literature on thinking through what makes a good good split. You know, what you what you should consider. I think the biggest point is to make sure that you've done that homework because, you know, once you go down a path, you know, it, 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 it you're, you're in it, right? It's like, this is the deal, you know? Right, right. Um, and, uh, and you don't want that to be left to fate. You don't want that to be dictated to you. And you don't want to have, uh, you don't want to have things happen that could have been predicted if you'd only been more thoughtful. So for that what reason, you-, you know, I think some of the things that people aren't willing to do, like bringing in lawyers, having tough conversations, things like that, do that now mm. <laughs> so you're not doing it later. Right. What what are some of the greatest mistakes you say you you you've seen in relation to? Well, let me give you a two part, or I'll let you tackle it however you want. One is some mistakes you see when when negotiating those kinds of uh, those kinds of equity kind of based deals as one, and then when you think back to you know some of those scenarios you've been in, what what were red flag moments or hey you know this isn't quite equitable um for you know you know for me or for us or for you know even a client that you may be uh consulting for i've not had any personally you know I, my my experiences have all been positive because i think we all went in eyes wide open but a good friend of mine aaron you know, just walks on a, water a... <laughs> <laughs> it's walking on water over here no i just i just <laughs> <laughs> you get the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes and that. And this yeah. is one, you know, yeah. you mentioned, you know, learning about things in business school. One of the famous business school cases is Zipcar. And the mm. founders of Zipcar came into a 50-50 arrangement. And okay. I think a year into the business or 18 months into the business, one of the two co-founders decided that she wanted to go back and, and work. And she was still entitled to that 50%. And I remember that case. I haven't been to the business school in 15 years, but I still remember that case because the, the moral of the story was think through your equity split, right? <laughs> Um, you know, they're not. She friends, held that equity forever, got, right? There was no. It, you know, yeah. So they got that's beef. It. You know, it's, it's not a friendly thing anymore. And she talks about that experience bitterly. So you see things like that, and you say, "Whoa, think about this, right?" Because you know, you, you can't just decide on day one. You don't know what a relationship's going to be, so you have to design in those fail states. I've got a good right. friend who was who was in that basic zip car situation where he was more or less thrown out of his business. You know, put in a ton of sweat equity. Uh, got strong-armed out by a family that owned the other 50% of the equity and, and had nothing to show for his effort. And, and you know, and, and that's not, he wasn't the only one. I've seen other cases like it. And I think that that's what you don't want to have. You at least want to be able to say, if we have to part, let's part friends or equitably, or just or just know that if the, if the partnership doesn't work, that's okay. But uh, it, it's unfortunate when somebody gets destroyed in those situations. You know what I mean? You're delivering it in in an eloquent way, but I think if you peel it, peel the onion back on it, right? I, the thing I've heard you say multiple times, which I want to make sure rings true for people in the message, is having the hard cover, getting the hard stuff out of the way, having the hard conversations. It's it reminds me of prenups and postnups, right? Mm. Every Every yeah. time you see a conversation about a prenup or when it's sensationalized in the media or, you know, I, I will make a confession to my audience. Um, there was a show called Marion Millions that came on like TLC or something. I saw an ad and I'm like, this is interesting. And then me and my wife got hooked on it. Um, and w- the most one of the most 
explosive episodes because it's generally about uh, there was a wealthy there were a couple wealthy women and then wealthy men on there and then you know they showcase the different relationships right so one of the guys was um younger and he was already with the woman for five years they had a kid together already but she was pushing marriage and you know he had a lot of family money and they were like published some kind of like publishing magnet or whatever and one of the most controversial episodes was when the father was like hey I don't think you should get married, but if you are, you need to go do this um, prenup situation. And the whole thing was so contentious because of a variety of reasons. But I think about that when we talk about partnerships and equity and those are the tough, you know, what happens if, you know, scenarios that a lot of people gloss over because they are tough. So I, I think your message is if I'm interpreting it right, you know, ultimately amongst all the things you're saying is, you know, have some of those, in, in, try to anticipate, but have some of those tough scenarios or conversations, you know, Brian Tracy says, right, eat the frog, um, you know, right. have those tough conversations first so you can get them out of the way and really have a clear runway for, for building your business. Well, your prenup analogy is spot on, right? Because, you know, no, zero percent of people go into marriage expecting to be divorced, but fifty percent of them do. <laughs> correct, <laughs> right? correct, so, correct. And that's what every lawyer is going to tell you, and that's that's probably what that person's father said, you know. But so, mm -hmm. so that that's the reality. So it's like you know, you know, of course, that's not what you hope to have happen. But if it did, you know, what are the precautions? And, and that's right, having those tough conversations early is like a form of insurance. Um, and it's easier to have them then. If, if you don't want to have them then, you certainly wouldn't want to have them later. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> what, what would you say? What would you say are are some of the insider secrets to um, to capital raising or dealing with banks or sources? Um, like I've always pushed the proponents of like some of the people that were there in the early days for me were community banks, were smaller institutions that maybe you wouldn't go to out of the shoot, but. Um, where the big boys were like, you know, the, the institutional ones that you would top five banks you think in your head were like, yeah, go pound sand. What were some of the insights you'd give to people that are in that in a situation where um, not so much start? I mean, not not well, startup, you can look at it any approach you want, but yeah. approaches to raising capital approaches is to, approaches to securing financing or or expanding financing. You know, you just raised a good one. And that probably would inform my overall strategy for fundraising is, is just to think about the sources of capital holistically. My, my barber is looking to build a new shop, you know, and, and, and when he thinks about where he was going to go, I, I think he, he, like most people said, I'll go to, you know, big bank one, big bank two, big bank three. Yes. And, and predictably they say no, you know, <laughs> right, and they right. have to go through a bunch of forms. Or they want your house or, or whatever, right. right? Yeah. 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 You got to collect yeah. a bunch of stuff and, you know, yeah. and do things like, well, yeah, if I, if I could do all that, then I probably wouldn't come to you guys. So it didn't make right. any sense. Right. But when he doubled back, he started going to the credit unions, to right. uh, to the community banks. He started going to uh, alternative retirement investment conferences, and mm. you know, and talking to people that he knew had built up 401ks and might be willing to invest in something alternative to be a part of their retirement funding, or yeah, that's uh, you know, or just high net worth people who may have had, or people that didn't have uh, liquid capital but might might have owned a home that they would be willing to refinance if they saw a good business plan. And when right. he got more creative about it, um, yes. he found a lot more yeses, a lot more ways to get the deal done. And it wasn't just as black and white as, you know, go to this bank, go to that bank. And, and even yes. in the case of raising capital in the more, you know, vanilla uh, tech or, or, or venture sense of, you know, find a family office, find a venture capitalist. There's just, there's probably a lot more sources if you think about it more creatively and it's worth 
developing a plan of attack that considers all of them. What do you think makes somebody investable? Uh, circling back to where we started, I, I think, you know, balancing, um, I think having a track record is, 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 is big, but as far as the individual idea, um, so that, that maybe that's table stakes even. And, and track record doesn't mean you've been an entrepreneur with a bunch of, of exits, but it's, you know, right. it's somebody that, that people can trust and vouch for and say that this is a person who's solid and I trust her. I think when you're looking at an idea being investable, it's, it's the balance of, uh, the idea of being a good one that you can convince somebody that, that it's a, it solves a problem, that it's, that it's aspirin and not vitamin, that it's something that's going to really mm. get, at, get at something that you can see people dealing with today and selling right. that vision. But then it's, and that's where the traffic comes in, it's showing that you're willing to put in the work to figure it out. You know, I'm invested in a couple of concepts and these, and, and, you know, they, they, they pivoted. You know, they're not, the, the first plan didn't work out, the second plan didn't work out, and they're, they're on, you know, version three. But right. all the investors, we're all we're all fine because we we invested in these guys. You know, it's like you know, right, you guys figured right. out. I, mean, I like the first idea, but I like you guys more. So, you know, see, um, I, I like so, and and yeah. and I want to call out something you said that was interesting. So, I, you know, when when we're in like a groove and you get in like a flow, I think you, I think we're in a in a in a real flow because like like an hour is blown by and it's like once you get in the flow, these things start to roll off your tongue that are natural for you but need to be called out as like a, a um moment. And you said aspirin, not vitamins. I, that, <laughs> I love that. That that, would, that that was just like a and it rolled off, but it was like mm, that was one of those mm moments. <laughs> It's an aspirin, not a vitamin. What do you mean That's by that? That's right. Well, you know, I think that the, the general idea is, you know, in business, you know, when you come up with a new idea, certainly you could have something that you think is, is sexy and you could, you know, it could, be, it could be cool, but you should start with a problem, you know, a problem that, that, that exists that's causing people pain because you're better off solving a pain point than just something, something cute. So you think about a business like Uber and whether or not Uber works in the long run or becomes profitable. It's indisputable that ride hailing was a pain, right? You don't know right. if the guy's going to show up. You don't know what his driving record is. You know, if you lose something in it, you're never going to see it again. Um, you know, that was a pain. So right. at a minimum, when you see the business plan for, hey, I've got a new ride hailing service that anybody can call from their cell phone, blah, 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 blah. You could say, man, I, I can see that pain being solved. If you guys can pull it off, I'm interested. And that's what you right. want to see. There's a lot of things, you know, that you could do, and you see this mostly in, probably in software more than anything, where it's like, hey, there's this app that does this, this, and this. You're like, yeah, but who cares, <laughs> right? Like, right. Is that, That's right. Who, who's dealing with that? Who's struggling right. with that right now? Right. Is this a problem? And, yeah. Right. So, so I like I like that approach, and that's how we felt with our business. We said, you know, because that was that was the, the elevator speech for it. You know, when you go to sell a car, you're not happy with the trade and offer, it bums you out and you don't want to sell it on Craigslist because it takes too much time, blah, blah. And as you told the story, people would yes. start nodding like, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. they get it. And, and that's how you know you've got some aspirin and not just something that would be, oh, that's cool. I don't see, you know, that's fine. We're going to pass though, right? Well, right. The brilliance in that model and, and the other brilliance in that model is at, just as a pure business owner um, that has a product or service, you think about um, your inventory costs. You think about all those things that go into the world that, that you were able to circumvent. Like guy wants to open up a used car lot. He's got to go out and get his line of credit, his dealer's license, is this, is that. He's got to hold inventory. He's paying interest on it. But here's this model. It's like, hey, uh, yeah, you're going to keep all of those expenses and <laughs> right. we're going to provide a model to advertise your car, create a safe space to sell, you know, and that that to me was like the, the brilliance in it. Now, 
leading into this, right? You you now take this business. You've got great partners, smart people involved. You're growing. Uh, you're creating a scale. You're in featured in Inc. You're doing all this stuff. You're on the map. You're disrupting. And now, when I introed you, right, I, I said former yeah. COO. Yeah. So how, yeah. how do you have the moment where you're like, this is great, but uh, I have an interest in becoming a professor. I have an interest in advising. <laughs> I have an interest in, you know, um, some other, some other, you know, I know some other stuff about you, but I'll let you say what you want to say. But um, I, you have this interest in greater diversity of your businesses. How does that happen? You know, it took me a while to probably embrace my identity as an entrepreneur. Um, I think, you know, that, that's something that, that you've always had and you talk about a lot. Like, you know, you knew that you right. wanted to go into business for yourself and, and yeah. you know, and, and the hustle mentality and all the things that it led you to. And, and you kind of knew that that was kind of your confidence. I did not have that. I felt that I was an operator. I felt that I was a consultant. I felt that I was a, a sales exec that had the opportunity to be involved with entrepreneurial ventures. But as I, as I started to build and help other people build their organizations, you know, um, I, I realized that I, I enjoy the build and I, and there are other problems that I want to solve and there are things that I want to do. And, and, and that, that's the part that I actually enjoy the most and, uh, and, and, and helping people build and solve and figure out what, what to start and build is, is exciting to me. So, um, so, so that was, a, that was a shift that I, that I would say has happened over the last, uh, nine or 10 years, uh, as largely in the process of building this business. We were lucky enough to be, we were finalists in Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, and, and, and they have this great event out in Palm Springs where they invite all the regional finalists out for a big party, and it's, and it's amazing. I mean, just really heavy, heavy hitter uh, companies and entrepreneurs out there doing huge network. things, huge, huge. Power network, power network. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, all the people that you want to be like and that, and that you can learn from and everything like that. And that was, and I said, man, this actually feels a lot more like home than anything I'd ever done, any, any other mm. trade show, any other event, uh, anything corporate wise, like this, I, this is what I want to do. And this is, I, I enjoy this and I like this and I like the challenge of building something and figuring it out and pivoting. So, uh, and, and finding the right way. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a journey and, 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 um, and certainly I'm still on it, but, but, but that was it for me. It's just, you know, it's, it's that, um, there are other there are other problems that I want to solve. It was it was time, and it was and I had the, kind of the opportunity to, to step back and, and and reevaluate my role at Carlot to think about what I could be doing in other places, and 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 uh, so I took the opportunity. What are the primary things on your horizon now? One of the things that I've got, you, you know, it, it, is there's a real big passion for me, um, and kind of solving problems in in the criminal justice space, mm. and, and thinking through the labor model. Um, you know, and, and ways that it can be deployed uh, more efficiently or in a way that's more respectful to, uh, to release defenders. And this is something that, you know, I, I only talk about um, uh, to my close circle and all your listeners that is now. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the cat is out of the bag, Aaron. That's right. We're, we're in the but, UK, yeah. India. We're, yeah, party's <laughs> over for that one, buddy. But, but that's, one, that's one for sure um, that, you know, that, I, that I'd like to do some work in. But broadly speaking, it's in helping people solve gnarly problems. Um, you know, if, there's, if, there's, if there are other entrepreneurs, executives, leaders, um, that are dealing with the problems that we learned about and that we faced firsthand. Um, right. You know, I want to help them work through that. You know, I want to help them think through, use the problem-solving models that we that we thought through, 
um, and, and, you know, learn through the lessons that we had and not make our same mistakes and kind of work through it. So I'd say that those are, uh, those are probably the things that are on, on the horizon for me right now that I'm spending the most time thinking through. Awesome. Awesome. Man, this has been super exciting. Now, if you think about your ride over the last decade, what would you consider to be one of your craziest entrepreneurship moments? Man, here's here's one. I'll tell you. So when I was in college, uh, I, I came up, I was in college during the dot-com boom. And yeah. um, there was a company that came to me and, and my roommate and said, we'll pay you guys 10 bucks for every download you can get on campus to, to for this desktop app that they developed. It was called PointCast. And uh, so 10 bucks a download, we had 7,200 students on campus. So we're immediately thinking, here's a quick way for us to make 70 grand. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And we passed out flyers. We did everything we could and, uh, and actually got some pretty decent penetration. They came back and said, we're not going to raise the money to 25 bucks a download. So then we went to all the university you know, and the broader uh, Harvard University, which is like 20,000 students. And now we think we're going to crush that. Mm-hmm. Then they raised it to 50 bucks. So we just went, and there's like 60 universities and colleges around Boston. <laughs> right. So we just started <laughs> mailing out things, like dropping flyers under the doors. Like, you know, back in those days, we used to staple and thumbtack up posters on, on the walls and, and all that. I mean, we just, we just grounded out. And right. not long after that, that company went out of business. But we made we made a lot of money. Like I didn't that was like my junior or sophomore year in in, in college. I didn't I didn't work again from then on. Wow. I share the story because the crazy part is not that we like made out like bandits. I mean we made a lot of money for a college uh, student. I mean a lot. I mean we literally didn't have to do anything else. But it was just that it it wasn't until I got much older that I looked at that experience and say, wait a second, there were other people my age that were making you know, eight, nine, right. You know, billion dollar deals in the right. same dorm room. And right. it's like, it was like that learning how to expand your thinking, right. you know, and like say like, and, and really see the real opportunity. I saw the opportunity for what it was and said, yeah, absolutely. You're going to be 50 bucks to download. I'll go hustle. But I should have been saying, man, if you guys can afford to pay 50 bucks to download, how do I get some equity in that place? Like, yes, right, right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> So, right. Uh, so that, well, was, that it was crazy to have lived through that time, you know. And that was probably your uh, your first uh, one of your first lessons in uh, monetization strategy or lack thereof, and understanding burn rate, uh, right? Was, was, was probably because they they probably did not have that knowledge. And it's funny when you talk about you know thinking big. It's funny like I think about in the political landscape today, like everyone was like, you know, uh, Tom Steyer, he's a billionaire, he got in, and then here comes, like, billionaire, right? You go billionaire, like, you know, can buy anything, and then a guy like Bloomberg comes in with, like, you look really small, a billion looks really small next to 60 billion, right? So it's, there's always somebody that, you know, oh, I made 500 grand last year, great, that's a drop, I made 50 million last year, like, there's always this gradient that goes up um, in the world where, where the thinking or or, or the play can get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so it's super interesting. That that that's definitely an interesting one. So that's a that's a that's a first time share. I appreciate that. Now here's what I got to do. Now I know you're 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 in this and you're in that and you're in between, but I'm still giving you the entrepreneurship rapid fire. We're gonna get some insights into the things that you're in. We want to give our audience some insights into you know how you kind of operate as an entrepreneur. So. Nine questions. You're giving me the first answer that comes to your head, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Are you ready? Ready. All right. PC or Mac? Uh, PC. Man, 
Why did I think you were going to say PC? How did, I, how did I know? How did I know you were going to pick that? That yeah, that Harvard's PC like Berkeley's Mac, right? Is that how it goes? Like, yeah. recall that my my Twitter handle was Aaron Classic. Like that's how I keep it, man. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. All right, you're not alone. There's some PC people that have been on our show. Um, clearly, I have a bias. All right, next up, what's been your favorite kind of credit card for? Uh, running your businesses amex business platinum physical planner or digital planner for your schedule physical favorite software right now to to manage your business or communicate whatever is applicable to you like what's your can't live without mm. Ooh, that'd be tough that'd be a tie between evernote and trello okay starbucks duncan or other duncan Oh, another Duncan in here. Where are you from originally? Well, you know, I grew up in Detroit, but, you know, spending all those years in Boston. I mean, yeah, that's Dunkin' Donuts you know. territory. Dude. You that's get, right, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, like Starbucks, you might get beat up walking around with a Starbucks. Now today you can, right. but, yeah, back then, you know, when I used to try, I used to travel that corridor past, uh, you know, Connecticut, Boston. Once you hit that, boom, it is just Dunkin' Donuts City. When it comes to thanking people, thank you card or thank you email? cards i uh, i keep a bundle on the desk just for that purpose i, I love it and people love getting them i love getting them so yeah I, I just prefer that when it comes to learning hardcover book tablet or audiobook um both so i so i'll do i do audiobooks during my commute and i do kindle at night okay what's your next big goal mm. i always get yeah, my big goal you know, it's, a, it's a good one you know it's and, the last and, two uh, to what, get the to get the people <laughs> So. Without taking it too deep, you know, it's I, I really to me, and and, and I kind of hinted at it, kind of taking back to, to my broader goal of thinking about about criminal justice. But like, I, I want to have a real impact, right? So it's like social know, so, entrepreneurship, like that kind of. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'd say so. I, I think, but but the caveat is, you know, it's like I um, I don't need to be known as a, as a social entrepreneur. It's more just mm. like what's in my hand right now that right. you know, where, where I could be I could be helping people um, that are that are more or less invisible in other ways. So. So that's something that, that that's a big goal of mine right now. Final question: One day with any mentor who's alive, who would that person be? A whole day. Yep. Ooh, man, that's that's a good one. I'd love to spend a day with Obama. Mm. I'd love to spend yeah. a day with Obama. I bet I mean, that'd be a, that would be interesting. I mean, we could play ball. We could like, <laughs> like there's so many flavors, right? So much stuff he can right. he can dip into with you, right? Totally. A little karaoke. Yeah, that, yeah, no. I mean, that'd be awesome. Michelle might drop in. I mean, that would be the most most bang for the buck. I think. Now, now, usually, I whoever people say, I, I say, I give a shout out. Like, hey, who, whoever you know, if you're listening here, uh, that one might be a little hard. But uh, if 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 <laughs> If this podcast gets in the hands of anybody who can get us to Obama, because I got to go too on this one, uh, anybody gets us in the hands of Obama, please uh, hit me up or hit Aaron up so we can uh, we can make that happen. Well, I got one final thing for you today, and this is our entrepreneurship trivia. Okay, this is your opportunity to whether go on the Hall of Fame on the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast or go into the Hall of Shame on, on <laughs> okay. the podcast. All right? So it's multiple choice, so that's the good news. So I'm going to read you a quote, and then I'm going to have you tell me who said the quote. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. 
Who said the following? Business has only two functions, marketing and innovation. Here are your choices. A, Peter Drucker. B, Peter Drucker. Jim, I didn't even get through it yet. You just know, you knew Peter it. Drucker, then I'm just going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. You're, uh, you're okay. Put me in the hall of shame. <laughs> All right. So, okay. You're, you're putting. The, you're not even going to listen to the other two options. You're going straight, Peter Drucker. Final answer. Final answer. That is the correct answer, Peter Drucker. Now, now, my wife who does the questions. This was way too easy for you because that that was probably like taught in in B school. Like it was probably like we're gonna study. Peter Drucker, Michael Porter, all those all those strategy guys is probably all. St- but so I'm not going to let you off easy. I'm going to ask you okay. another question. I'm going to put you Let's off go. for two. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Here's the second one. Got a double or nothing. Who said the following? Success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. Here are your options: A. Jeff Bezos. B. Zig Ziglar. C. Maya Angelou. Sounds oh, like yeah. a Zig Ziglar quote, but uh, I, I know it's not the other. I know it's not Bezos. Um, I'm going to go with Maya Angelou. Is that your final answer? Mm, yes. <laughs> well, I I will have to tell you and see. I mean, your your this Harvard thing is working well for you. Um, that is the correct answer, and I believe I have to go back to the archives, but I believe you will be the only person at at this point in the history of the show that went two trivia questions and got them both right. So congratulations on that. You got both of those right. I'm going to go work on some much harder questions for people. <laughs> those were plenty hard because uh, I feel like you threw in Zig Ziglar as a trap. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But man, you did good. This, this is super. Um, I'm so glad we were able to get you, um, Aaron. How can people um, that just want to get in your sphere, get in your, get you know, maybe they want to talk strategy. Maybe they're trying. Maybe they've got a ten million dollar business right now and they want to scale it up and you know want to want to talk to you. How can people get in touch with you? Follow me on Twitter, Aaron underscore Classic. Connect with me on LinkedIn or just reach out at Aaron at AaronMontgomery.com. You know, love to connect, love to chat through problems with people and, and be helpful any way I can. Man, thank you for being on the show, for being a for being a friend. And also, you know, I pick up so much from you as well. So I appreciate you participating today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, no, it's my pleasure. As I close out today's episode, I'm asking that you subscribe to my podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review. And if not, just keep it to yourself. And if you've heard something today that you think can help someone you know, then I encourage you to share it. Finally, if you are a business owner that is ready to become a fearless entrepreneur, then head on over to my website, fearlesswithcorey.com, to learn more about the most comprehensive business growth support system for entrepreneurs on the planet. I'm Corey Mosley, and this has been another episode of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. 